Let me invite you to stand now and turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 19 through 21 of James chapter 1. So we're in a series in James, and I'm bridging from James to our Advent series. And our Advent series this year is A Weary World Rejoices. The Weary World Rejoices. And in fact, you may be feeling a little weary these days. Uh, life out there, ooh, it's tough. And there's a lot of things that are said and done that maybe make us angry and, and reduce our capacity and resiliency to deal with life as it is. Well, what, what's God's Word say to us about life in a weary world and how do we live a life equipped, shaped, formed through the gospel of grace that really helps us reflect the first fruits kind of life that we're called to. That's our subject today. So James chapter 1, hear God's word from verses 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let's pray together. Lord, how we ask indeed that you would give us wisdom to hear and to listen today, that we might see you glorified in the things that we say and people encouraged. And that we together, though weary, would find rest and refreshment in your gospel of grace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so I have a fancy watch, and it's fancy not in terms of expensive, but it you know, has GPS and all these sorts of fitness features and tracking things. And it tracks your sleep and all this other stuff. And if you're in the same cult I am, you know what the, I mean, if you're in the same group I'm in, you know what this, this is all about, these watches that we have. And one of the things that some of these watches measure is something called heart rate variability. Heart rate variability. And this is the milliseconds that occur between your heartbeats. And if heart rate variability is high, then what that shows you is you might have a low resting heart rate. You're in good aerobic condition, and if your heart rate variability is high, in other words, there's a varied time with regard to when your heart beats, it shows that your body is rested and resilient and able to adjust to stress and things like that. And so... With my particular cult that my watch is in, um, it has this app that takes that heart rate variability measurement and puts it into a thing called body battery. And you can kind of see if your, if your body battery is high or if it's low. And of course, this is not part of our anthropology because it's kind of a mechanistic view of uh, the human body. I digress, though. Back to the point, you know, it was really frustrating because for weeks and weeks and weeks, it kept telling me, you're tired, you're stressed. And I kept saying, look, I, I, don't, want, I don't want to be told that. I know that. 
and it was chronically low, this body battery, and I found out that five is the lowest that it goes. It doesn't go to zero, fortunately. It's sort of bottom, but it, but it would tell me, you're bottoming out, try to get some rest today. And, and my response, of course, was, you know, look, I'm not made of glass. I don't need to hear this. And, and so I took it off the app, so I can't see it anymore. Kind of like unplugging the warning light. But uh, nonetheless, and I feel great, there must be something wrong with that technology. And these are not medical devices, by the way. But all to say, look, you know, you may be feeling a little weary. We live in a society that is so polarized, and we make friendships uh, based on whether or not people agree with us politically or agree with us on certain issues. People go from zero to 100 in a fraction of a second with regard to being angry. Uh, if you need an example of this, just say, you know, get your family together, say something inflammatory or say it in public when you're waiting in line and see how, you know, and what you will find is people are weary. They're so angry. They're preloaded for fighting and battling and conflicting and unforgiveness. They're preloaded for this, taught this, discipled this way by, their, by our culture, and we're being shaped and formed this way. And so weariness very much describes our culture and this exhaustion, this lack of resiliency uh, that we see all around us. And God calls us to a different kind of life, fortunately. He doesn't want you to be exhausted. He doesn't want your body battery running low like mine. God calls us through James's command to interact in the world in a certain way. And if you look at Ch James chapter 1, verse 18, and this was a verse we looked at last week, we see it ends with this. We should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, this first fruits kind of life that God has called us to, not a tired, angry life. And I think you heard Jonah, the end of Jonah read earlier by one of our elders in the worship service, Jonah ends purposefully in this way to display and contrast God's mercy and infinite love versus Jonah. Don't you love that question God asked Jonah? Do you do well to be angry? And most of the time we don't do well being angry. And it drains the resources that we have for living in a way that honors God, this first fruits kind of life. How do we live that kind of life? That's our subject today. And we'll begin in verse 19. And the outline is easy to remember. Quick, slow, remove, receive. Four main points today from this passage. And the first one is quick, quick to hear. This is in verse 19. We know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Oh, if it was only that easy, right? That we would be quick to hear. Sometimes we're weary because we are poor listeners. Sometimes we're weary because we are so prideful you can't tell us anything. And we live in a talky culture and we get talked at all the time and it wears us out. And sometimes we imitate that talking with others 
We all have expert opinions about everything. Isn't that true? You want to know about the Middle East? I got an expert opinion on that. Do we really know what life is like outside of burning? We would do well to be quick to hear and to listen rather than spout off at the mouth our personal opinions and half-baked views of life. The saying is, God gave us two ears and one mouth. I'm preaching to myself here. Two ears and one mouth to show the proper ratio between listening and talking. Slow, quick to hear, quick to hear, slow to speak. This is the dynamic of a first fruits life that when we come to Christ, when we receive the gospel, as we rest on him, we move into a position where we are quick to hear. And by being quick to hear, we communicate to others that we care about them that we love them. This is a way of loving neighbor, to listen and to hear. And sometimes you will hear pain points in someone else's life, and you'll have the opportunity to express empathy and feel along with them in the midst of their pain. And by so doing, you communicate the love, the care, the compassion, the mercy that God has for others. Quick to hear communicates then our love for others and communicates some of the truth of the gospel that God cares. And it also, when we are quick to hear, gives us an opportunity to learn and to grow. And all of us have walked away from a conversation where we said, mm, I couldn't get a word in edgewise. They didn't ask anything about my life. Being quick to hear gives us the opportunity to get the focus off of ourselves to step for a moment out of this self-centered life and to listen to other people. James reflects, the book of James reflects the wisdom literature of the Old Testament and especially Proverbs. And you hear some echoes of that in the way he has much to say, especially in chapter 3 about the tongue. But there's three passages in Proverbs I want to go to this morning that just encourage you especially as we gather with family and we're around at Christmas parties and other things, don't be that person. Don't be that person that says something that tears down. Be a person that is quick to hear. So uh, the first one is from Proverbs 10. Proverbs 10, this is a passage that all pastors should take to heart and I certainly do, Proverbs 10, verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The more we talk, the more opportunity there is for transgression to enter into that. So that's Proverbs 10, 19, and then Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 is the next one. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That is a truth that our culture needs right now. A soft answer turns away wrath. Who's going to bring the soft answer? Christians are called to bring this soft answer to our world instead of a harsh word that stirs up anger. And then third, 
passage here. Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered intelligent. You want people to think you're smart? Zip it. Rather than speak and remove all doubt. (laughs) Quick to hear is what we are called to. If we hear, we grow, we learn, we're discipled, we love others, and we empathize with them in the midst of their pain and struggles. So that's quick to hear. Remember, we're talking about what is the kind of life that we're called to, this first fruits kind of life. How does the gospel manifest itself in the life of a believer? And one of the ways is how we listen, quick to hear. Also, another way here that the first fruits life is manifested in our, as believers is that we are slow to speak, slow to anger. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Anytime we are angry, we are fast to say things that we regret, that injure and hurt others, and tear them down rather than build up. Anger can be sudden, it can be a flash, and we can be angry, and we can say something that we regret, but anger can also smolder under the surface, just waiting. And that really makes us weary as we think about what puts the where in weary. We've got to say it's this high level of anger because this high level of anger which puts you on alert and pushes your body into flight or fight mode, which is really more fight mode, it is exhausting to be angry. And when we are angry, it motivates us to do and say things that are regretful and dishonoring to God and our calling as Christians. Look here in verse 20. So quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 20, why is this the case? Why should we be this way? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we are angry, it is not putting forth and accomplishing that which God wants to accomplish. We're told here, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So think of righteousness of God as a characteristic of who God is. And our calling as those who are created in the image of God is to image God. In other words, to reflect his character into the created order. Like a mirror reflects we are meant to reflect God's character and to transcribe his character on those around us, that they would see the righteousness of God. And we don't accomplish that when we're angry. We don't accomplish that. And so we're called to be slow to anger here, slow to speak, slow to anger as a way of reflecting the righteousness of God. A lot of our anger is actual distrust that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. That God is a righteous judge who is powerful and sovereign enough 
to carry out his way and his will, our anger, we think we can do better, like Jonah. We think we can do better. And so we do not do well to be angry. Uh, With regard to speech, we're called in Ephesians chapter 4, really Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 puts beautiful parameters about the way we should speak as Christians. Listen to Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, did you grow up like I did with your parental figure saying to you, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Now you can say, well, that falls short. Because you can still have this smoldering anger within you that's eating you up and not say anything. You haven't obeyed the command here in Ephesians 4.9 because what we should speak is for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And the way we speak contributes to the relationships that we have and the relational and family health that we enjoy and the marriage health that we enjoy depends on those words that we speak. And certainly how we speak has a cost to it. It has a cost to it. And as three, you know, by the way, the news cycle doesn't always cooperate in my sermon preparation, but it did this week. Because you saw three Ivy League school presidents giving congressional testimony. Uh, Congressional testimony about anti-Semitic tendencies on their campus. And the University of Pennsylvania, the president of that, uh, I I believe her name is Liz McGill. I got the last name right, I know that. Uh, when she was asked whether, anti, whether calls for the genocide of the Jews constituted a violation of the code of conduct at the University of Pennsylvania, instead of saying an unequivocal yes, she went lawyery on it, and she has resigned from her position, and Partially, a donor put pressure on her because there was $100 million given to the university. And you know what he said? If she doesn't resign, I'm withdrawing that $100 million gift. That's an expensive lesson to learn in how to talk in ways that are truthful and important. And she went on to say... Okay, so she, she resigned. She's the interim president now, and by the way, she's still part of the law school faculty. Do we really want law school faculty holding to such positions? I'm not sure. I don't think so. But nonetheless, she said this, kind of, kind of defending her answer. In that moment, I'm quoting her, in that moment, I was focused on our university's longstanding policies aligned with the U.S. Constitution which say that speech alone is not punishable. Okay, did you catch that? The U.S. Constitution says that speech is not punishable. What Constitution is she reading? Have you read the First Amendment? 
It says nothing of the sort. It says nothing of the sort. In other words, free speech, yes, it's free, but it is subject to the consequences and punishment in certain contexts, in certain settings. Try saying something inappropriate next time you're in a security screening for uh, airline. You will find out that speech, though free, is still punishable. And she says, she goes on to say, I was not focused on, but I should have been, the irrefutable fact that a call for genocide of Jewish people is a call for some of the most terrible violence human beings can perpetuate. She lost her way in terms of the things that we say and the speech that we utilize, though free, has consequences, has a standard. There's a $100 million price tag on what she said. There's even a billion-dollar price tag to speech. Alex Jones, who was uh, the InfoWars kind of news site thing, uh, he was given a billion-dollar punishment for denying what happened at Sandy Hook Elementary School. And the aggrieved parents, I think, rightly sued him because they were being harassed. He was spreading lies about this incident, and the judgment in that case was a billion dollars. It matters what we say. That we ought to say things that are truthful, yes, but we ought to say things that build each other up. You see, there's a more expensive price tag. There's something more important than the constitution of this country when it comes to speech. It's what God says about speech. It's what he says that governs the things that we say. And real quick, I'll read to you from our standard of doctrine, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which unpacks for us the duty that Christians are under with regard to the Ninth Commandment. So the Ninth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness. Listen to how this is unpacked, because usually what we think of when we think of the ninth commandment, we think, don't lie, and we leave it at that. But you're going to hear in the duty here our call to defend the reputation of others and to speak positively in ways that build each other up. So what are the duties required in the ninth commandment? The duties required in the ninth commandment, and this is, I'm just reading from our doctrine, what we believe as a church, larger catechism, question and answer 144. The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man, in the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, appearing and standing for the truth, and from the heart, sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully, speaking the truth and only the truth in matters of judgment and justice, and in all other things whatsoever, a charitable esteem of our neighbors. Hmm, imagine that in this polarizing culture. You know, I grew up, there was a time, and you might remember that, there was a time two people disagreed and they would have a conversation about that and both would walk away from that conversation not villainizing the other person, 
but actually enlightened and having learned more about that. I digress. Back to the larger catechism here. In matters of justice and judgment and in all things whatsoever, a charitable esteem of our neighbors, loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, freely acknowledging of their gifts and graces, defending their innocency, a ready receiving of a good report and an unwillingness to admit of an evil report concerning them, discouraging talebearers. That's a word. We're going into an election year. Talebearers. Think conspiracy theories. Discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers. Love and care for our own good name and defending it when need requireth. Keeping of lawful promises, studying and practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. That's a good word. In larger catechism, 145 speaks about the sins that are forbidden. So you have both a positive and negative. I, I read the positive side. You can look that up, throw it into your favorite search engine, larger catechism, 145, and you'll see... Uh, further explanation. And the reason I brought that up is certain people by these, this tail-bearing, you think about the aggrieved parents of Sandy Hook. They were threatened. They were harassed. Their loss was denied. That is not good to do to another person. And so we as Christians should speak against such conduct in our culture, and certainly we as Christians should lead the way in our charitable responses towards our neighbors, showcasing the gospel, showcasing what Christ has done for us and his ethics into this world. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, so far, what I've shown you, I've shown you how to behave around your relatives this Christmas. Most importantly, what I've shown you is really this first fruits kind of life that we're called to that involves being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then verse 21, we're called here to remove wickedness. James draws a kind of conclusion here in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. In other words, this filthiness is moral impurity. We're called to put it away, to take it off. As you would come into a building, you would take off your coat. We're called in the power of the gospel to strive to put away that moral impurity. And then the rampant wickedness, verse 21, this is the abundant wickedness we see all around us in our culture. We're called to put that off. And so, so far, what you've seen, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, Put away all filthiness. Remove this filthiness and rampant wickedness. And then the last point here. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Remember James, the half-brother of Jesus. Remember James, the leader in the church in Jerusalem. He could have pulled rank on anyone. But how does he identify himself in verse 1? James a servant of God. He takes that humble position because he understands 
his own, something of his own sin and the lengths that Christ went to rescue him. He comes not out of pride, but in meekness, in gentleness. And this is a description of how Christians should receive the Word of God and the truth of God's Word with meekness, with gentleness, with humility. We receive what God has for us in His Word because it is able to save our souls. This Word is the words of life that can save our souls. And so what's the application here? We ought to listen. Let's not be so full of pride that people can't tell us anything. Let's not be so full of pride that the instruction of God's word falls on our deaf ears. But let us hear and receive with gentleness that which God has for us because we are humble and we know, this goes back to verse 4, we know that God intends to mature us. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We will not get there without the humility of our Savior and how he teaches and grows us through the power of the gospel. And so receive this word. I mean, think about it for a moment. If you have a good garden in the Texas Hill Country, it's a raised bed garden. Why? Because the soil is so bad. It's so rocky. And likewise, in our life, let us cultivate reception to what God has for us, what the truth He has to tell us. Let us receive it. Sometimes it's painful to hear, but let us lean into that pain because God, by His Spirit, wounds with intention to ultimately heal us. And by so doing, we will give Him glory as we live this first fruits life. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, putting off filthiness and wickedness, and called, of course, to receive this word with humility. That's the first fruits life. So if you're putting the where in weary, this is how we're called to be refreshed and renewed in the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, as we receive what you have for us this morning, we pray that you would grow us Lead us, help us, that our life would reflect your glory. We pray, perhaps when we're around people who say inflammatory things, that we would not get sucked into that, but we would be quick to hear, that we would have an apt word, that we would not be controlled by our anger or our unforgiveness that you would help us to receive at this Advent, receive the word with meekness. We pray, help us that the ways that we speak would glorify you and that you would help us to nurture that a harvest of, help us to nurture this fertile soil that we would receive the word and see a harvest of righteousness happen, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.